I remember staring at the walls. All I could think about was how my world was wrong. My wife was wrong, my kids were wrong, the people around me, the job, the friends, my place in this world, everything was wrong. I remember being so full of anger and frustration and constantly overwhelmed. As a child, I went to church with my family and grew up in a Christian home. I watched the way the church accepted these pastors and ministers, and I wanted exactly that, to be accepted. I grew up to work in the church and be in ministry. I tried to become like the people I wanted to be. I desperately wanted to be recognized as good. I wanted to be good. Maybe then I would be accepted. But my heart was hurting and my mind was weak. I created this persona of who I wanted you to believe I was. It was all in my head. I wanted you to believe that I was good. I wanted him and her and them and everyone to believe I was good. But most of all, I wanted to be good. Without realizing what I was doing, I was creating a self-image that was false. I did this as a way to create decency in myself. I needed this false self to feel good about who I was. All it took to get there was one lie. Was one lie. One lie that birthed another lie, that birthed another, and pretty soon I couldn't tell the false from the true. The truth was that I was blind. I was so blinded by my false self that most of the time I couldn't see my own faults. I would look in the mirror only for a short moment and then look away in disgust. I had no idea who I was. I was completely lost. I would use addiction as a way to soothe the mind, the body, and the spirit. And sometimes it was conscious, and other times it became such a habit it was unconscious. Addiction was an out-of-control way for me to be in control. I was addicted to anything and everything. Food, work, drugs, alcohol, money, sex, anything that would take my mind off of reality. There was a moment that my children witnessed me and one of my addictions. The pain of the way my children looked at their father was enough pain to get me to make a decision. The decision to surrender. The decision to change. On April 1st, 2016, I was finally brought to my knees in surrender. It hit me that all of us fail. No matter who we are or where we are, we all fail, and failure knows no race, creed, gender, or social status. But failure always comes with the opportunity to surrender. Surrender in every area of our lives. Every day since the first day I surrendered, I surrender again. Sometimes I surrender multiple times a day. I surrender the lies I create in my head about who I should be. To me, recovery is simply a journey from a lack of awareness to awareness. Awareness is daily transformation and a lifelong process of moving towards who God intended me to be. Over three years ago, I started down a new path, the path of recovery and ultimately transformation. Even with celebrating three years of sobriety, one of my biggest struggles is my Christian faith. After so many years of being involved in ministry, one would assume that I would at least have that figured out. What was once an antagonistic doubt has now turned into an authentic search 
where I've been doubting towards faith, I've been able to lean into the doubt with an understanding that I am not alone. easy to lie to yourself, isn't it? You go through life and stuff goes on and you lie to yourself. Or you probably don't lie to yourself, but the people around you do and you know about it. <laughs> and what's interesting is the people around them, they lie to themselves and they know about it. You know, it's, it's being alone is devastating. And sometimes life is devastating. And you come in, it's beautiful outside. It's like, it's Easter Saturday. I, I, we get to jump on it, you know. It's like, I, I think that's awesome. So, but you come in and you're like, who am I really? What am I like really? And what's the track of my life really? Sometimes life is devastating to us. Some of us live a long life of devastation. Some of us jump into it in and out, in and out, in and out. Sometimes it's because of addiction. Sometimes it's because of illness. Sometimes it's because of loss. Sometimes it's just because of bad choices. But all those things can lead to a devastating life. Did you see the fire this week in Paris? Devastating loss of a, of a hub of Christian spirituality over hundreds of years in our world, and not necessarily in our country, but in our culture, in our extended culture, we look at a place like that and we go, that's where God is. That's where Jesus meets people. And then it goes up in smoke. I got to visit Notre Dame about 10 years ago. It looked like this when I was there. It was beautiful inside and outside. People painted pictures of it because it was so stunning. And this is what it looks like today. And what if that church could represent your soul? Because your soul was designed by God to be a hub of activity. Your soul was designed by God to be a place where he would meet with you. And through you, he would meet with others. And yet, if your soul ends up looking like the inside of that church today, none of that meeting happens. None of that connection happens. It doesn't go anywhere where God wants it to go, and it probably doesn't go anywhere where you want it to go. What does God want to do in your life today? How does he want to shape your life today? Is this the life you're looking for? Do you know this story? It's found in the Gospel of Mark. It's a story that makes us celebrate resurrection and resurrection weekend and Easter. Mark chapter 16, if you, if you want to follow along, you can. If you just want to listen, that's great. We use the YouVersion Bible app here at Lakeside, and we have some notes in there under the section called More. Click that and then click Events, and then you'll find Lakeside Church. You can find these scriptures listed for you. But let me read this. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint Jesus' body. 
Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb. And they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away already. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him? But go tell his disciples and Peter. He's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Imagine how dark it was that Saturday before Easter, before they knew Easter was coming, before they knew that Easter was going to be a thing. Imagine how dark that Saturday was. I was out today and they were at a coffee shop and there were people everywhere and they're riding bikes and doing their thing and it's, it's not like dark at all. It's like a beautiful day. But imagine that day when the friends of Jesus thought they'd buried the Messiah yesterday, not just lost a friend, not just lost a leader, the Messiah. Imagine how dark it was that day. Some, at some time, women who knew and loved Jesus had gone to the store and they bought spices. They bought ointments to be able to prepare Jesus' body for burial. They had to do it Friday afternoon after the crucifixion. It was too early on Sunday. Saturday, everyone was closed for the Sabbath day. They bought spices and they couldn't get to the tomb in time to prepare his body for burial. So now they make their way back to the tomb and they're worried about the stone because it's big and they don't know how they're going to move it, but it's already been moved. And they go inside and there's a man sitting there. Other gospels call him an angel. He's dressed in white. He's sitting over on the side. He goes, you're looking for Jesus the Nazarene. They're like, well, yeah, he was buried here. He says, they, he, they crucified him. They go, we know that's why we're here. We have to bury him. We have to prepare him for burial. And the man in white says, he's not here. I love that line. It's like he went to somebody's doorbell, rang the doorbell, you know, and you're asking for your best friend to come out and play, and dad comes to the door and goes, he's not here. It's disappointing for you if you want to play with your buddy, but it's not earth-shattering news. It's not life-altering words. He's not here. But then the angel, the man in white, says this, he has risen. And those words changed the world. Those words changed the trajectory of the world. He has risen. That's the story of the resurrection of Jesus. But that wasn't Jesus' first resurrection. Do you know this story? There's this story about Jesus, and he goes into a town called Capernaum, and there's a man there whose name is Jairus. Jairus is one of the upstanding leaders in the community. Everybody loves him. Everybody honors him. He's the leader of the synagogue. He's like the chaplain of the community. But he's broken. He's devastated because this little girl who's 12 years old is dying back at home. And he comes to Jesus and he said, Jesus, will you come and heal my daughter? See, Jairus had this belief. He had this faith that Jesus could prevent death. I'm like, look around. Who in your party, who next to you can prevent death? And here's Jairus, the synagogue leader. He goes, Jesus, you could prevent death. Come to my house. Heal my daughter. Stop death from coming into her life. 
and death is imminent, so let's get going, he says. A crowd comes along because they want to see what Jesus is going to do. So they're gathered around Jesus, huddled around him, bumping into him. And all of a sudden, a woman touched him. And Jesus stopped and said, who touched me? And everybody's touching him. So, so Jairus says to Jesus, less talking, more walking. Let's go. It's urgent. Brokenness is not always urgent. Sometimes brokenness is chronic. Sometimes brokenness just goes on and on and on. And you hate it, but you get so numb to it because it just goes on and on and on. But sometimes brokenness is urgent. And when it's urgent, it's immediately devastating. And here's Jesus going to Jairus' house to, to prevent death from coming to that house. And somebody interrupts him in the path. while Jesus is stopped to make this woman who'd been bleeding for 12 years to make her whole, a runner comes from the house to find Jairus. And he finds Jairus with Jesus and he says, don't don't bring the teacher, don't bring the master because your little girl has died. And now this man Jairus who believes that Jesus can prevent death from coming into a household but who knows nothing about resurrection, gives up. And Jesus says, don't worry, don't fear, only believe. Jesus goes with Jairus and they make their way to the house and Jairus thinks they're just going to go and grieve for his little girl and there's people outside grieving and mourning and making the commotion of brokenness, the commotion of loss. And Jesus goes in and he says to the little girl, little girl, get up. And he gave her a life back to her mom and dad. Resurrection. That was Jesus' first resurrection. That was the one where he showed the world resurrection brings wholeness and hope to their world. But that wasn't Jesus' only resurrection. Do you know this story? There was a man named Lazarus. He was a friend of Jesus. In fact, a lot of people in, in his life knew that Jesus loved this man. They weren't just buddies. They weren't just casual friends. He loved him. In fact, Lazarus' sister sent word to Jesus. They said, Jesus, the one you love is sick, and he's dying. And Jesus got that message, and then against, against everything of reason, he stayed where he was, and he didn't come. He didn't leave where he was until after he'd already found out that Lazarus had died. And everybody scratched their head. Everybody wondered, well, it's like, Jesus, what are you doing? And sure enough, they make their way from Galilee where Jesus with his disciples were. They, they made their way south to Judea to this little town called Bethany. And when they get to Bethany or they're approaching Bethany, Lazarus' sisters come out one at a time. The first one, sister number one, she meets Jesus on the road and she goes, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus goes a little further, and the other sister, sister number two, comes out. She goes, Jesus, if you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And then here's two women who believe that Jesus has the power to prevent death. But they know nothing of resurrection. 
Jesus goes with them to the tomb. And he gets to the tomb, and the Bible says he wept. The verse says Jesus wept. And a lot of people take that verse, and they go, do you know that's the shortest verse in the Bible? We get all excited because it's the shortest verse in the Bible, but most of us miss the fact that it's probably the deepest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. He wept for his friend. He wept over death. He wept over the losses in the world. He wept over the brokenness and the devastation that comes in this world through addictions and illnesses and loss and bad choices. He wept. Because he's moved as much by the pain that we have as we are. And then he says to somebody, Dude, roll the stone away. Sister number one says to Jesus, no, 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 no. By this time he stinketh. <laughs> I'm not making, it's in the King James Version. Look it up. <laughs> and Jesus calls out from the opening of the tomb, Lazarus, come out. And then the Bible says, the dead man came out. And I'm like, no, uh Dead, dead people don't come out. Living people come out. But the Bible says the dead man came out. And it says when he came out, he was wrapped up. He's, he's all wrapped up with the grave clothes. They, they would wrap people up in, their, in burial cloths, and they, they'd wrap a towel around the head. The dead man came out. And I, I, don't, I, don't know, I don't know what this looks like. You know, it's like his hands are like this, and he can't unwrap himself, but he's alive. I, you know, <laughs> I think he's like, I'm alive, I'm alive, let me go. And sure enough, Jesus looks at him, and the first thing he says to everybody else around is, unwrap him and let him go. Take off the grave clothes and let him go. And the words that he used are these, set him free and let him go. Isn't that what you need when life devastates you? When life takes you out at the knees or at the ankles or at the soles of your feet, when life takes you out and leaves you flat on the stone? Isn't that what you need? Set them free and let them go. Set her free and let her go. Isn't that what we need? And now these women who knew, who believed that Jesus had the power to prevent death, now they know something about resurrection. Resurrection brings wholeness and hope to their world. The message of the resurrection, the message of the resurrection of Jesus, set them free, let them go be wrapped up in those grave clothes any longer. Don't be wrapped up in that which keeps you dead any longer. Set them free. Let them go. We live in a broken world. We live in a world that's devastated. Everywhere you look, you see it. I was going to read you a list of all the mass shootings that have happened in our world since Columbine happened 20 years ago. 
You're like, thanks for not. (laughs) Yeah, it was too long of a list and is way too sad. In the last eight months or so, two well-beloved pastors in Southern California have taken their life by suicide. One of them was in the midst of a sermon series on mental illness. And you go, man, this world is broken. We're doing a series on mental illness, or I want to think of it as mental health and emotional health and social health, wholeness. I want to know how to be whole because in this world, we're broken and we're devastated. So many of, among us suffer from depression and anxiety and fear and fury and hatred and self-hatred and pain. And we need to find resurrection. We are not automatically whole. We think, I can get better, I can do this, I can make it happen. But we are not automatically whole. We don't automatically have health. I'm a broken human being. I won't tell you if you are or not, you can decide, but I, I am. Among my many challenges, I'm a perfectionist, which I, as evidence of my brokenness, I used to think it was a gift. Well, why wouldn't you want to be like the best you can be? Like, why wouldn't you want to be perfect? Problem, because you're not, which is why I want to be. What do you mean I'm not? See how this goes? See, everyone's broken in their own way. And that's one of the ways that I'm broken. The problem with being a perfectionist is it wreaks havoc on the lives of everyone around me because no one does it right. No one does it perfect. Oh, I don't either, but I don't have to tell you that. (laughs) Everybody's broken. And the resurrection is all about this. Set them free. Let them go. New life, good grace, good God, resurrection. In this series we're launching this weekend, it's going to run five weeks. I invite you back to hear where we're going with this. I want to lean into spiritual health. I want to lean into spiritual wholeness. I want to lean in to social health and social wholeness. I want to lean into relational health and relational wholeness. I want to lean into all those things in our lives that get broken. And I want to lean in with the power of resurrection. Health is not the absence of sickness. It's not the absence of malady. Health is the presence of wholeness. And that's what God wants for us. Whatever that thing is that binds you, whatever that thing is that wraps you up, whatever that thing that keeps you constrained, whatever that thing is that keeps you dead, Jesus says, set them free, let them go. Health begins with the power and hope of the resurrection. The day after 
the fire at Notre Dame this week. USA Today ran an article about the devastation of the fire. And the first paragraph of the article had only two sentences. Sentence number one said, what's next? Sentence number two said, resurrection. I'm like, they get it. They get it. They get what church is about. They get what what we're about. They get what Jesus is about. The president of France, Emmanuel Macron, uh, he made this statement. He said, the Notre Dame Cathedral will rise again. I'm like, does he know Jesus? Does he know what Jesus does? Because that's church talk. That's God talk. That's Jesus talk. This place, this thing, this hub, that's the center of spiritual life in that country. It will rise again. And what if Jesus looks at your life and he goes, your life is just like that church. It's designed to be a hub of spiritual activity. It's designed to be a hub of what God wants to do inside of you and then through you to other people. And what if your life could be like that church and it will rise again? But nobody gets a resurrection until they die. You have to die. You go, I'm, I'm not ready yet. Like, I, I, don't, I don't mean someday. I mean, you have to die. You have to die to your old way. You have to die to your old life. You have to die to your old self. Nobody gets a resurrection until you die to all those things. You have to die to those old choices. You have to die to those old addictions. You have to die to all those old illnesses, whether they're physical or emotional or psychological or spiritual. You have to die to those because nobody gets a resurrection until they die. So as long as you hold out and you go, I'm good. Good, I hope you're good. But it's not till you say, I'm dead, that you actually are in a place where Jesus can say, let me set you free. Let me let you go. Rise with me. Jesus, I pray for us today. I don't know anybody's heart but mine, and I hardly know mine. But I know you want us to rise again with you. So, Lord, there may be some in the room today that maybe for the very first time are going, that's my story. That's my desire. I want to rise again. I want the wholeness and hope that comes from resurrection. And Jesus, on this Easter weekend, 2019, when they say yes to you, when they surrender to you, like Joel talked about in that video, when they surrender to you, would you say yes to them? Would you set them free and let them go from all those things that wrap them up and give them wholeness? Jesus, thank you. We love you. Amen.